And greetings, everybody. Welcome to another edition of Paul Listening Behind the Curtain. You know, oftentimes on television, you see me in the political world and here on the podcast, it's more of the entertainment world. But today for this interview, those worlds kind of collide a little bit. Uh, and I think you'll see that as you uh, say hello to my guest, Steve Peters. If he's not a face or a name you're connecting with, you will soon. Because if you saw the movie, The Eyes of Tammy Faye, which of course brought in all sorts of Academy Awards, you saw a very pivotal scene based in truth. In fact, it was a true event. And the guy in that event, that's who's with me now, Steve Peters. Steve, so good to see you. Good to see you, Paul. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to be here. Would you have ever guessed that your moments with Tammy Faye Baker, of all people, would have propelled you to the recognition that it has over time? No, I would not have, especially the day I did the, sh- the, the interview. I came home from the interview and thought that I had done a terrible job. I told my neighbor, I'm so glad nobody I know will ever see this. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I got to tell you, when, when I was in, when I was in, I was in college and stuff, and the the Jim and Tammy show was on at all hours of the night. It was on all night on whatever channel it was, and sure. I would you would, and I'm sure you knew you'd watch it for five minutes, and you got sucked in. You couldn't turn yeah. it off. Exactly, I know. My friends, my friends, and I used to watch it for entertainment purposes, if if nothing else. Um, yeah. So let let's go back to the beginning of your story because you know to to say that you've struggled with AIDS for decades and HIV, I'm not giving any secrets away. Uh, no. and, that, and in fact, in many ways, and a good friend of mine, you may know Alexandra Billings, who also has struggled with this for for such a long time. Um, but you're among the lucky, right? Because when you got it, Steve, people didn't make it. Everybody died. I know. Uh, or it seemed that way at the time. Uh, no, I first got sick with AIDS when it was called GRID, gay-related immunodeficiency, back in 1982. And uh, 40 years ago this month, I had my first uh, illness with AIDS. And, um, and I subsequently was very sick for a uh, year for five or six years and uh, was diagnosed with stage four lymphoma and Kaposi's sarcoma and full-blown AIDS. And, and I was told I would not live to see 1985. So I'm very fortunate to still be here with my cancers in complete remission. And My goodness. Is it, I mean, are you a man of faith or is this, are you a man of science? Where, where do you put the, the credit for all of that? Well, uh, I, you know, it's, it's, I'm not really sure. I mean, I am a man of faith. I am a pastor by trade. I, I became a minister before I ever got AIDS uh, and uh, was the pastor of a church and all of that. And so, yeah, I, in some ways, I believe it's a miracle. But I also have friends in the world of science who call it an anomaly. Uh, and uh, so I've, I've, you know, I'm not really sure because I know people who had greater faith than I, that they could survive it and they didn't. And, so, uh, but you, but you, you come with a message. Maybe that's part of the purpose because for decades you've shared a message, yeah. and, but, but let me ask you back in those days, and, and we've all lost friends. We've all lost people back there. And it was uh, the, the way you were probably treated, not probably, I can guarantee the way you were treated as a person diagnosed with AIDS back in the eighties, we're going back to the Reagan days where even uh, Rock, Rock Hudson had AIDS and Ronald Reagan didn't want to deal with it. Um, talk about how things have changed. And what do you think brought about the change where people are much more accepting today? I mean, not everybody, but a lot of people, most people are. 
Right. Well, you know, it was really difficult in those days for for anybody with AIDS because people, we weren't sure how it was transmitted until 1984. And so prior to that, there were people who wouldn't come into my house or even be in my presence uh, because they were afraid of breathing the same air. Uh, and, uh, and I was asked not to use the bathroom and in, in some people's homes. And I, I was served on paper plates a lot. And when I was hospitalized, uh, the orderlies would leave my meal outside the door of my room. They wouldn't even bring it into the room. Uh, and, uh, you know, it was, and I was too weak to get up and get it myself. So, but things have changed. And I think a lot of that is due to the fact that uh, there are a number of us who have been willing to put a human face on it. And when you meet somebody who has AIDS or when you hear or, or see somebody on TV who has AIDS, you have to stop and think, oh, this is somebody's son or daughter or somebody's father or mother or cousin or whatever or friend. And uh, it changes minds when you put a human face on it. Because you are uh, ordained, and, and, and so, you know, as you said, faith was part of your life. I knew that. And, and so what I wanted to ask about that is, what phases did you go through? I mean, listen, I know people who have passed away from AIDS, and they lived in an anger phase for a very long time oh, and, yeah. and never left the anger phase. It's not fair. Why me? But you're a man of faith, so I'm sort of curious. Did you have a different progression through phases? Well, no, I mean, I had I had long period of feeling like I was abandoned by God. And, and, you know, I was so angry about what was happening to me. And I certainly asked why me until uh, a wise therapist said, why not you? You're human. You know, you are part of the gay community and this is what's happening. Uh, and that made me stop and think. Um, but, you know, I. I there were so many ways in which my faith helped me through this. And uh, not the least of which was um, I was invited to preach the Easter sermon two weeks after they told me I would not live to see 1985. And, uh, and I preached, you know, if God is greater than the death of Jesus on the cross, as I believe that God is greater than AIDS and it means that believing in, in, in the Easter message means that even in the face of this horribly stigmatized death, I could still enjoy my friends. I could still laugh. I could still sing. I could still dance. And I did right there on the pulpit. I did a little <laughs> soft shoe. <laughs> Were you out to the congregation? Did they know? Oh, yeah. Oh, absolutely. I, I, I belong to the Metropolitan Community Churches, which is where I'm ordained. And MCC is a church that was founded in 1968 as a safe place for LGBTQ people to worship together. Well, I have to ask about Tammy Faye. You know, that's why everybody of course. Yeah. right now. So I'll start by saying who found who? Ah, well, uh, apparently uh, she decided that she wanted to be the first televangelist to interview a gay man with AIDS. And so she had her producers start to search, and apparently they looked all over the South and the East and couldn't find anybody willing to go on the show with Tammy to talk about it. And so finally, they talked to a friend of mine who was happened to be the executive director of the AIDS agency in Atlanta, and he directed them to me. And uh, so the producer called and I said, 
Well, as long as it's done live, so you can't edit it to your purposes, and uh, as long as you can give me some assurance that it's not going to be a booby trap or you know sabotage. Uh, and try to convert me to heterosexuality or something, then then I I'll be happy to do it. And she and the producer gave me all kinds of assurances, and so it happened. So then, Tammy Faye, was it a publicity stunt? Do you think, or do you think she really had a heart for for the gay community and for people with AIDS? And this was all sincerely driven with real feelings. No, I think she had a real. Uh, a, a, I think she had a real concern for uh, people with AIDS, and she had uh, she had an interest in exploring more about why people were gay, uh, what made people think they had to be gay, and the first half of the interview, which was twenty four minutes altogether, the first half of the interview, she questioned me over and over again about. What makes you think you had to be gay or what made you gay or why were you gay? You know, did you have, were, were your parents uh, straight? You know, I mean, she asked all kinds of questions that you and I might consider to be silly, but they were the right questions for her audience uh, who needed to be educated about not only AIDS, but about uh, homosexuality and, and the fact that you can be gay and Christian. Um, and what role did Jim Baker play any role in that? Was it a Tammy thing? I think she was kind of doing her own thing. No, well, she was doing her own thing, but uh, Jim certainly knew about it. I've since become friends with his, with their son, Jay Baker. And, uh, and Jay has told me that Jim would never have allowed Tammy to do it if he didn't approve of it, but that he, they didn't do it on the, the flagship show of the of the network, the PTL network, uh, because they thought that it would probably be better if it were done on Tammy's house party, which was uh, the name of the show, and was geared more towards uh, you know secular interviews of interest to her women audience, particularly. And, you know, it's funny as you watch her career unfold over the years, and then she had the show with Jim J. Bullock and, and all of that. You almost think that in time, Tammy was more comfortable to just interacting with gay people in that world and let's party and was just having a great time. I think she tried, I maybe you tell me, I mean, it's almost like she wanted to put the negativity stuff just behind her. Like it just wasn't who she yeah. was. Definitely. Well, she said in in one of the last interviews she ever did before she died, she said that when Jim and Tammy fell apart, when the PTL network fell apart, that it was the gay community that caught her and that saved her. Um, she and, you know, I think that she that all started with my interview with her. Apparently, Jay told me that 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 interview that I did with her changed the whole family and that she started after that interview. She realized she had a ministry to the gay community and to people with AIDS. And she started taking Jay and his sister, who were children at the time, to uh, LGBT friendly churches and to pride parades. And she even took them to AIDS hospices and hospitals to visit people with AIDS. When you went into the interview, I'm sure you remember doing the interview. Did you yeah. go in and go, here we go, uh, we'll see? Or did, you, or did you go and say, no, I trust this is going to be okay? No, you know, I went in with the intention of being as loving 
as I possibly could be and to be as civil as I possibly could be. And I think she came at it with exactly the same attitudes, that she was going to be as loving and caring as could be. And, And I felt that from her in the three minutes before the interview began, when we talked uh, over the earpiece right. that I had, uh, she she was so reassuring and th- grateful for my courage in doing the show. I knew it was going to be okay as long as I just stayed as loving and caring as she was. So I know the the general answer to my next question, but I don't know it in that specific context. You did other shows. And and you were not exactly a guest who they said, bring him in, come sit with the host. We'd love to have the two of you together sitting here on the couch. That wasn't the way they'd let you work. Well, no, actually, they sent me um, a a first class plane ticket to Charlotte, North Carolina to come and be on their show. But then they called and said, no, we're decided we're going to do it by satellite. Uh, And so I just went to a TV studio near my home and and was interviewed by satellite. And it was very primitive in those days. I mean, I was on a TV set, you know, and on next to her. And and I did not have any monitor. I could not see her during the interview. But it was it was very it was you know, that I later learned that they decided to have it done by satellite because they were afraid I wouldn't be treated very well by the by the uh, Heritage Village hotel people, staff, or they were worried and that they were worried that the camera crew wouldn't work if I were in the studio. So and, and that's where I was going. That's what I thought there was a general yeah. answer here for other appearances. Am I and tell me if I'm wrong, but I thought in many of your interviews, People were afraid to have you on set because they might catch AIDS or something. And that was what was the part of behind this. And it sounds like even in that one, that that reason wasn't too far away. Right. No, exactly. I mean, I can't tell you the number of interviews I did before Tammy Faye where uh, they would interview me in an alley beside the AIDS Project Los Angeles, seated on a chair in an alley. And uh, they wouldn't even go into the agency, uh, but they were so, so so afraid of having me in studio because the camera crew, the sound technicians wouldn't work. So I we did the interview. And after the interview was over, I would take off the earpiece and take off the lapel mic and start to hand it back to the sound person. And they would go, no, 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 no. You you throw it away. You, you keep it. <laughs> you know? they didn't want anything to do with anything that even touched me so so and were you mortified by that were you insult or do you like did you just get it because people are no i i tried to understand i tried to be understanding and and uh you know it was the times people were afraid even after we knew how it was transmitted it took a long time years for people to really begin to believe that they could be in the same room with the people with a person with aids the white house has been in your path and again i you know i mentioned ronald reagan early on because that was a president who he and his wife I suppose Nancy surprised me a bit. I, I read a biography of her and did an interview with Karen Tumulty, who wrote it. And um, very disappointing in the Reagan days for how they handled this crisis, especially given that they knew gay people. They, they knew Rock Hudson, were friends with him. When did things change? Was Bill Clinton the change for the AIDS world? 
Well, in terms of politics, uh, probably yes, because prior to Clinton, it was Reagan and then Bush, and and they did, you know, they they didn't want much to do with AIDS. But then Clinton decided early on that he was going to uh, use his bully pulpit of the White House uh, to to change things, to change attitudes about AIDS, and I was invited to be one of twelve. Uh, religious leaders in AIDS ministry to come and be with the president for a prayer breakfast, an AIDS prayer breakfast. And I, because I was the person with AIDS among those religious leaders, um, I uh, was seated right next to Clinton for the breakfast. And what an amazing thing to be able to literally speak truth to power. And you didn't hesitate. You were happy to, you didn't care it's the president. You had things to say. Oh no! Oh, absolutely, and and I told him that he he should be using his bully pulpit to to uh, reduce the fear and stigma around AIDS, and to increase the funding for for AIDS research and and all of that sort of thing. And and uh, you know he was he 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 told me. I remember he told me, well, you know, the president cannot do everything. We, you know, there's, I don't have all the power in the world, but I can use the, my, my uh, bully pulpit to, to increase understanding. And that has certainly changed over the years. Even the presidents, as they now seem to get, uh, that efforts need to be made. Uh, You also, I know were you, you tried a lot of drugs, right, Sarah? And there were so many drugs that you were willing to say, yes, let's, let's give it a shot. And it's worked. Well, no, I tried, uh, there was one drug in particular. The Suramin trial uh, was the very first antiviral they tried against HIV, and that was uh, a trial in 1985, and I was the first person to be put on the drug. And within six weeks, my stage four lymphoma and my Kaposi's sarcoma had gone into complete remission. So they put 89 other people on the drug around the U.S. And unfortunately, it proved to be extraordinarily toxic. It actually killed a number of the people who took it. It very nearly killed me. And all but one other person who took Suramin died from the progression of HIV and AIDS within the next year or two. We've gotten your story through the Tammy Faye story, uh, you know, in so many ways. I mean, there's more than one movie about her, documentaries and all of that. Um, but you, I mean, I, I sort of asked beforehand, I would think by now there's a book of your life, whatever, that's got to be in the works. Well, no, actually, uh, my memoir, I, I wrote my memoir during COVID, during the lockdown. Ah. And uh, I worked with a couple of different editors to to help me write it and and. Uh, and it's in front of publishers as we speak. Uh, my literary agent has put it out there, the book proposal. And uh, we've had a, a couple of very enthusiastic responses, as well as a couple of, of uh, no thank yous. Uh, but, uh, you know, I'm hoping that the memoir will get published soon by a major publisher. What is your opinion? Of, I mean, you know, such major works like Angels in America and there, you know, there have been so many movies, plays that, that touch on the on the AIDS issues or focus on the AIDS issues. Are those helpful uh, to educating the world? Oh, absolutely. I mean, t- uh, Tammy Faye in, in our interview made mention of having watched a TV movie a couple of nights prior to this. Uh, and the movie was An Early Frost, which mm-hmm. was the first mainstream uh 
uh, production about uh, a person with AIDS. Start Aiden Quinn, I remember. Aiden Quinn, that's right. And uh, it was it was really well done, I thought. And I think that that mainstream movies like that and Longtime Companion and Angels in America, all of it served to help educate the public and to help reduce the stigma and increase the understanding. I, I know part of your bio is at some point you worked with Playboy. I just need to like what? Yeah. Yeah. Well, <laughs> in 1996, your audience may very well know that in 96 and 97, everything changed with the introduction of the cocktail treatment, the protease inhibitors and all of that. And so people started getting well. So I, I couldn't, you know, I, my job had been to be the, as the director of AIDS ministry for the Metropolitan Community Church denomination. And suddenly I was out of a job. You know, they didn't need to do AIDS ministry the way they had before. And and I couldn't find work in the AIDS world. And I couldn't find work in the church because I was so associated with AIDS. And a good, a, a really wonderful, caring friend of mine from my teenage years, it was Christy Hefner. And we were having dinner with, uh, together one evening. I was telling her about the, the issue of not being able to find a job. And he, she said, well, why don't you come to work for me? She was CEO at the time of Playboy. And I said, okay, sure. Now for something completely different. Right. <laughs> well, she's great. She lives in Chicago. Or at least she has oh, yeah. Party. Oh, she's She has wonderful. all these dinner parties. I'm never able to get invited to any of them. Maybe you can tell uh, her to invite me. Okay, I'll try. <laughs> <laughs> so what is, what, what do you do now? I mean, are you, I mean, are you, you're working on, you have worked on the book, you've written the book, but right. you know, this, this has to be your, your journey and your mission for, for the rest of your life. What, what's next? Well, I'm officially retired, but, you know, I've never been busier. Uh, I'm doing interviews all the time about Tammy Faye and about my life. And, and, and there's a lot of interest, too, in people who survived uh, long-term HIV and, and AIDS uh, because of COVID. And so I've done a lot of interviews around uh, what we learned during the AIDS crisis that can help us now with COVID. And uh, by the way, did, did you talk to Jessica Chastain at all? Or were you involved in that, in that film? Did I talk to her? Oh, my God. I mean, did she, like, call you for preparation, that kind of thing? No, no, no. They filmed it. The, they, the, they finished filming it before they, uh, they, they didn't even know I was still alive. <laughs> I mean, oh. a person with AIDS in 1985. Right, but, yeah, right. Uh, so I wrote to the studio at a friend's urging and said, uh, you know, hey, I'm still here. You know, I'm still <laughs> alive. And, uh, and they put me to work doing interviews. And Jessica took me to the Oscar nominee luncheon as her date. And, and, uh, you know, I, I, I met her, I've more than met her. I've, I've had lengthy discussions with her from uh, time to time. And, and, uh, uh, you know, I've never met the guy who played me in the eyes of Tammy Faye, Randy Havens, but, uh, I, I hope I get to someday. You and, know, I'm yeah. sorry. No, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, you know, when, when you look back and, and maybe now with the reflection of 40 years ago, when you had the question of why me and you were told by your therapist, why not you? And now you can see because the difference you have made in the lives of so many, you could have never seen this coming. And, and, uh, and, 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 and I thank you and congratulate you because it's, it's made a difference in this world, Steve. 
Well, thank you so much, Paul. I appreciate it. I, I, I like to think that we all need to make a difference in this world as we pass through this life but once, you know. And- well, you, let me know when the biography is out because uh, we'll, we'll yeah. certainly talk again. And for people who want to follow you or they just, you know, really got into this interview, is there a place they can go and just follow you, check you out? Well, there's my YouTube channel, first of all. Um, they can find me there. And uh, I have a Facebook page called Rev Steve Peters. I'm still dancing. Okay. Uh, and uh, and uh, so they can find me there on Instagram, A.S. Peters, um, or uh, Twitter even. So Perfect. Well, Rev Steve Peters, I thank you for your time, for all that you've done. I'm sorry for what you went through, but... Boy, talk about getting some lemonade out of a real lemon life. <laughs> right. Yeah. I thank you for your time. I wish you well. I wish you decades more of good health. Thank you so much, Paul. Thanks for being with me. And I wish you all your, all your listeners great health. Thank you. And our viewers, they're watching this one. And your viewers. <laughs> oh, sure. Absolutely. Thank you, Steve. Thank you, Paul. Well, if you want to know more about what we've talked about here, follow me on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, at Paul Lisnick. That's P-A-U-L-L-I-S-N-E-K. And I'd love to hear your comments or topic suggestions for future podcasts. You can also go to my website, paullisnick.tv. And hey, don't forget to hit subscribe on WGN Plus and iTunes. And tune in each week to hear more Insider Scoop coming to you from Behind the Curtain.